Hello, and welcome to Femme On Poetry Theater. I'm your host, Ada McCartney. Each episode features an interview with a fellow poet wherein we exchange news, share work, speak on inspiration and dialogue about the process of etymological transformation. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Femme On Poetry Theater. My name's Ada. Ada, I'm your host. I'm glad to be here, and I'm delighted to be joined today by another Femon Collective member. Hey, Allison. Hi, Ada. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so before we kind of dive into the depths of poetry theater and your origin story, I'm curious, what's news and noteworthy in your world today? What are you feeling in terms of news? You know, I always, I have to have a really like boundary filled relationship with the news. Um, obviously all all the gun violence that's going on and what's going on in the state legislature in Tennessee with that, Mm. with the, um, two black men being expelled, although one has been reinstated, hooray, and, uh, and the white woman not being (laughs) expelled. Um, I saw a tweet that was like, oh, so they're just doing the racism. Like they're not even trying to hide the racism. So I hope, I hope is that it activates people, continues to activate people, continues to have eyes on this issue. It's gun violence is, um, it's something that I hope we look back on and think, how did we let it get this bad? I mm-hmm. I hope that it's something that historically, it's something my kids are explaining to their children saying, yeah, it's wild that we ever let it be like that. And uh, to their kids, it seems just unimaginable. That's my hope. I, I've been thinking a lot about parents, people who are parents lately. And yeah. I'm curious, um, I straight up quit teaching high school a few years ago. I mean, it was, it was during the pandemic uh, closures. So that wasn't just gun violence, but a large part of it was like, I, I don't, I don't feel like I can do this job. And I'm thinking about how, how it must feel to send, just have to have that conversation with yourself about like, do we homeschool? Do we continue sending our kids to school? Is that something you, you feel and deal with regularly yourself as a parent? It's definitely something. And I think the thing that's one of the harder things is that, you know, it's something the kids think about. And I've had conversations with both of my children about where their classroom is placed and how secure their school is and what they might do. And and really almost unprompted, they're thinking of these things, whether I'm bringing it up or not. Um, Mm. And to just live with that low level of anxiety about your life. And I think to live in a country where uh, corporate greed is more important than lives. It's a it's a very powerful message we're sending to our kids. Um, and yeah, we, I think there are a lot of things in life that are scary. And I think we just hope that we survive. Mm. survive. I wish I had a better answer. You know, I, I wish that there's no easy answer. And I mean, I saw a lawmaker, someone asking him about it, how he would handle it. If it was his child I said, Oh, well, we homeschool our daughter. I just thought, of course you do. That's <laughs> such a cop out. Like to just not engage with a system because the reality is of me as a 
entitled a privileged white person pull my kids out of the school system, you know, I will be able to provide them with what they need to learn and grow. And I have that bandwidth and the privilege to be able to do that. But if all of us pull our kids out of the school system, the public school systems, you know, who suffers, not only the kids who don't have that access to that kind of privilege, but our whole society suffers because if we're not valuing education and public education, we're essentially just opting out of the lives of millions of American citizens. And I find that tragic and obviously incredibly problematic. So um, unacceptable. Yeah. It's just like, and, and I think for some people that is a solution, which is part of what's so devastating about it is that to them, it's like, oh yeah, pull your kids out of school. That doesn't solve the problem. I don't feel good about other children dying. Obviously, I'm the most emotional about my own children, but I don't feel okay about any children going to school and fearing for their lives. Mm. Amen. <laughs> right? And how disturbing <laughs> is it that so many people seem to be okay with it? It's rather horrifying. Right? Rather, rather horrifying. Yeah. Um, so I have to really take mm. in that news, like, I can't take it all in. I try to take in the victories and I do what I can and I vote. Everybody vote. Um, but, mm-hmm. and gun violence, I mean, I, there was gun violence in my childhood and it, it definitely um, affects you for a long, long yeah. time. Uh, Forever. Say the least. So that was, that was heavy. <laughs> no, I, um, I've been thinking those are the, Tennessee has been occupying a lot of my yeah. emotional, yep. emotional and intellectual space lately. And I, uh, my brother also lives there. Oh. Um, and so I, that you bring that up is, uh, and a lot of people that I'm talking to, have, uh, don't, don't seem to have any idea what's going on in Tennessee oh, or like, don't, or like, yeah, I saw that it's, it's just another ha 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 laugh it off sort of or like dissociation, I think is the word that I'm right. seeing, <laughs> which, right. um, so I'm glad is not the right word, but I am appreciating that you brought up those, those items. And those um, courageous men and their speeches. And like, I cried when I watched them and it shouldn't be forever on young people and black people and uh, to stand up for the rights of all, we should all be doing that. And so Mm -hmm. it's just like, uh, anyway, it was super emotional. I'm sure it was for you too, watching those speeches when, when they try to bait them and get them to say something stupid. (laughs) And they're just like, actually, it's my turn. Uh, Shut that down. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Um. So, so Allison, let's, uh, let's shift a little bit, um, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, to your poetry and theater origin story. Um, I totally copped that question from Tony Free, and I love that he asks people, what's your comic book origin story? Um, and so I'm curious, what's your, as, as the host of the Where I'm From series, which is past uh, 80 episodes now? Yeah. Um, what's your poetry and theater origin story? 
Well, I definitely was interested in poetry and theater before I was interested in comics, interestingly enough. Um, yes, definitely. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately uh, and what the series has given me back that I sort of just gave away. Um, I I think like a lot of girls of my age um, wrote a lot of poetry, you know, in school, but also in little scraps on little scraps of paper and just kind of as a way to prove I existed, you know, these words, um, <laughs> proof of concept. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. Look, I made these words. Um, and and Sylvia Plath, when I first discovered Sylvia Plath, I was going through my own nervous breakdown and she made me feel less alone. And that book couldn't have come to me at a better time. It was like a miracle, truly. Um, the bells so, are? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, for AP English, I wrote a paper on Sylvia Plath and her poetry and studied her poetry and felt moved and seen by her poetry. And um, and then I studied other poets, too. But she, she stuck with me. She... Uh, I think she speaks for so many of us. And I revisited the bell jar recently, wondering if it would still be meaningful to me. And it was. And I saw that it's really a feminist manifesto. Um, I saw recently someone talking about how in the good old days, quote unquote, <laughs> the 50s, when women didn't have the power to divorce their husbands or birth control or abortion, the suicide rate was much higher for women. And I think the bell jar speaks directly to that. I think she's talking about that in the book. Um, so what what era, what age of younger you were you kind of, were you revisiting and reconnecting with? In, I was 17 in... when I had my nervous breakdown um, after I was raped. And when I read the book, and it was all like really almost all within months of each other that I, that all happened to me. I picked up that book. I unplugged from life. Uh, not knowing how I could re-engage with, with it, uh, not understanding life really and the life that I'd lived up to that point. And her words and her ability, ultimately she did not succeed <laughs> in like, but she did in that moment in the book and she did for another, you know, 15 years after the events of that book or 10 mm -hmm. 12 right around there anyway decade. yeah so it's like um and just her I don't know so her her like desire and passion for life and and it made me really start to think about what do I want to do who what do I want to like who do I want to be in this life because up to that point I had really been uh, performing a certain type of perfectionism and uh it had worn me down and then none of the rules really applied anymore. Everything I had been doing seemed false. And so I had an opportunity to reassess. And I think poetry and these, the voices of these women, Anne Sexton, Sylvia Plath, you know, they helped me tap into rebellious, kick-ass women in a time when it was much, even much harder to do that than in the 90s that I was living in, you know, the early 90s. Mm. Um, and then I was really into poetry. I had this phase where I was like really into it, going to poetry readings. Um, 
a friend reminded me that I took her to a poetry, you know, like I was engaged with it and I, I really loved it. And, um, when I was in college, <laughs> I took a class called reading and writing poetry and my teacher was not very nice and uh, I stopped writing poetry. Was it I, a man? It was a woman, mm. which is so I don't sad. know why I'm compelled well, to ask that. I'd like to think I would like it to be a man because it would just be a tidier story but um I think she's a woman a feminist you know all the things that and it's funny because I've reconnected with the guy I was in that class with and all of his memories are the same that she had favorites that she didn't like certain ones of us that so that was very validating because it's like maybe maybe she didn't really think my gar my poetry was garbage but but she did um <laughs> and she was really clear about it uh, um and I just let it go. I just accepted that I was a terrible poet. And oh, no, yeah, I was done. I moved on. I got much better feedback in my screenwriting classes. And that is the course my life took. I started writing screenplays. I went to film school. Like I really, I worked in film and television. Like I completely changed directions because of mentorship hmm. or lack thereof. I have a very, very similar college story about mentorship. That's mm, right. beautifully put. Right. And and how powerful teachers are or professors. And how, I was just talking about a different teacher who turned me off of something. Um, and this professor, I'm indebted to her forever, the screenwriting professor, because she sat me down and just told me everything I did well. changed my life mm. yeah she's no longer with us her name was del chapman and she died of ovarian cancer um but she was a wonderful mentor to so many of us and uh she was a black woman and uh she took the time for so many of us um and i just i'm so thankful to her that she that she didn't point out what we were missing, that she pointed out what we already had. And that's really something I try to do on my series, on the Where I'm From series. Um, because people will send me my their poems and ask me, oh, do you have ideas or edits? Or, you know, I never have ideas or edits. I'm not there for ideas or edits. I'm there to say, I love your poem. Thank you for sharing it with me. And here's what I loved about it. Mm. And, and it's such a privilege. I... That's how most of my even most of my critiquing even is even of people's writing. Like I might say, "Hey, I'm stuck here. Oh, this is you know a little challenging for me." But I I try to go on the side of what I love. Questions um, and loves. We already know. It, I mean, and gentle guidance to the blind spot are all we really, really often need, especially in creative pursuits, especially as beginner's minds in a creative pursuit yeah I mean that's how you find your voice right mm -hmm. you you lean into what you're great at not by trying to shore up what doesn't come naturally to you and I did so much of that early in my writing like oh I'm terrible at this so then I'll, I'll focus I'm like what <laughs> I'm never going to be good at that like I'm going to be fine at it I'm going to 
be serviceable, but it's never going to be. It's like I think of I I was a dancer for some time, and I always think of choreographies and choreographers and how they choreograph to their strengths, right? Like oftentimes when you work with a choreographer, you think, wow, how do they even do this? This is so, but it's because it's what they're good at. Mm-hmm. It's what comes naturally to them. Um, when I choreograph something, I realize that as I'm trying to teach it to people like, oh, it's so simple. Oh, wait. Okay. No, it's not simple for you. It's simple for me. And, and we're also obsessed with voice. And yet we seem like we spend a lot of energy trying to erase our own. So, oh my God, that's why we're so obsessed with it. Um, we're, we're indoctrinated <laughs> to erase our own voices systematically, right? Just keep doing um, what you're doing. You'll mm, find it. That's the sound bite right there. <laughs> <laughs> so poetry and, and theater, one of, I've been thinking a lot about the name of this podcast and was mm. like, why do you call it poetry theater? Actually, several people have asked me that. And so I've been thinking about it. Why? Why? Um, partly it's a theater of poetry, but also because the like nexus of interdisciplinary connection between the two um, is just like infinite uh, and possible and exciting to me. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested by the fact that turn, when turned off to poetry, you went to screenwriting, which is not maybe exactly theater, but it's, it's well, I was a writing theater major for the stage. too, just to play right oh, okay, into your okay. thesis. I was a theater major. And so, Neat. and that it's funny, Ada, because up to the point where I had my breakdown, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to make money. I'm going to, you know, be a capital, good capitalist. And, uh, mm-hmm. After that, I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to be an actress, which I had wanted to do when I was younger, but had, you know, put it aside because it's not, as we all know, it's not practical. (laughs) And and everyone wants to make a joke about how you're getting a degree in waitressing or whatever. And uh, that was definitely the joke I heard 100,000 times when people asked me my major. Um, But I realized later, because I actually... I, I do love working on characters and I loved acting class. Mm. Um, but I am not really an actor, but I love characters. I love making characters, creating characters, working on them, making them complicated and interesting and juicy. And, um, and I think poetry speaks to so much of that because every word in a poem is meaningful and Mm. there's no waste. I love poetry because of its brevity and, um, and how the way it tells a story. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, I was a theater major and I did take poetry. And so I did all of that for a while. And then I turned to, I realized, Oh, I don't really want to be in front of the camera. Uh, I, if I was an actor still, I'd want to do theater. Like I just had no interest in, um, being on camera and I I realized I liked being alone with my stories mm. and then trying to make them into movies or TV, you know, which is its own. <laughs> its own incredible thing. It's, incredible it's challenging. <clears throat> um, but I think anyway, I I'm very happy with where it all has that I've been able to reclaim poetry through this experience and and put and create, I realized I created a space that I needed, which was a space where pe- 
people are encouraged for what they have to contribute and mm. are told. I'm always so interested in people's stories, like their actual stories, not like the sound bites, but like where they're from and their roots. What, yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a privilege. Like really every single time I'm, I'm struck by what a privilege it is to hold the space and, and the vulnerability that people, I, some people I barely know offer to me. Um, it's incredibly life affirming. Mm. One of my favorite aspects of your where I'm from series. Um, it's, it's part of the reason I like log on to Instagram and actually look at things. Um, large part. It's, it's one of the, one of the Aww. few, um, but one of my f- favorite things about it and, and at, both as a participant and um, listening is the, the invitation to just consider my own story and my own um, roots from a myriad of different questions and like that sort of just continued permission and invitation to, to consider and keep that in mind. Um, and I love, I love the way that your series does that. Um, I'm curious if you'd like to read us uh, your own where I'm from. I yes, I can read it. I have read it so few times. I think once on my own oh. series. Um, okay. <laughs> so I'm just quickly going we'll to give a little here. backstory, which is um, I was in a workshop um, called Project for Advancing Health Stewardship, which is about becoming a health steward or being a better health steward. And within that workshop, the leader, Janine Ouellette, who's a wonderful memoirist and writing teacher, introduced this prompt. And then we went into little breakout rooms to work on our own. And I spent the whole time talking to the person in the breakout room and didn't work on my poem at all. And younger me would have felt like a failure because I didn't do the assignment and I couldn't share back to the space. But now me was like, oh, well, I get to listen to everyone else who's ready to share. And I was so struck by, I mean, we broke it. We're in breakout rooms for like 10, 15 minutes. I was Mm. so struck by the depth of the poems. And I felt like, how amazing is it that that we can tap into these things if given a prompt or if given the space or both, we, we are able to tap into these pieces of ourselves and sharing them, I think often brings some healing to them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I wonder if anyone would ever want to join me um, with theirs. Well, I wrote mine first and I shared it on Instagram, but then I thought, oh, maybe people would like to join me and share theirs. And so I put a call out to just a bunch of people I knew and people like immediately responded and, and it's just been ongoing since then. But I think it really speaks to um, how all of us just how profound the need is to be heard Mm. even just by me like it doesn't need to be the person who harmed you or someone someone quote-unquote important it's just you're bearing witness to the alchemy of speech yeah Mm. yeah so it's it's pretty great and just so anti-capitalist you know like we don't need to have all these gates and all these gatekeepers for a thousand downloads right like we have value we all have inherent value our stories have value mm. where i'm from 
I am from Bathing Suits, from Ragu and Chanel number five. I'm from Sandy Feet, gritty, crunchy on the floor and in my mouth, proof of daily joys. I am from Kelp, wrapped around my ankles, scaring friends, but never me. I'm from a lead foot on the accelerator and making family jokes out of fresh wounds, the ones that still ache with shame. From Aunt Joyce and Uncle Jim. I'm from No Pain, No Gains, and You'll Be Fine. I'm from No Man Will Ever Love You. And you're too smart for your own good. I'm from New Age Spirituality and Lapsed Catholicism, word salad dressed with self-loathing. I'm from tough pioneer stock and amnesiac immigrants, the details of their stories willfully forgotten. I'm from freshly squeezed carrot juice and a blast of bananca spray and expertly used to cover up coronas and bong hits. <laughs> from my brother who fell from a cliff and died to another brother who was shot in the face and lived. In my closet, stacked and organized, sit my early memories, showing me how we once appeared whole, performing a certain type of affluent, effortless togetherness. I search beyond the pictures to remind myself that our far-flung pieces and their inability to approach whole now is not my fault. It never was. Hmm. Hmm. I love, I don't love the progression from bathing suits and kelp. Um, there's something very cinematic about the turn. Um, I certainly, was there a sonnet structure to that? Was it sonnet? Not intentionally. I don't do anything intentionally, <laughs> but I think we do internalize these structures. That was the thing that I was struck by talking to George L. Lyon, who was the original writer of mm -hmm. the Where I'm From poem. And then these prompts were created by a man named Fred first. Um, she said, you know, we're all just so wrapped up in structure. And shouldn't we all just write what we feel? Mm. Yes. And yes, I just thought like, okay, why didn't I have you as a poetry teacher? <laughs> because <laughs> that was my hang up. Um, mm -hmm. I couldn't master structure, but I think, I think we feel structure. If we oh, read absolutely. enough and we write enough, I think it starts to embed ourselves in our in our consciousness, embed itself in our consciousness. Um, and, and we each have our own inherent structures and rhythms. And I think, to tr at least for my explorations of creativity, I can't really connect with that creative spirit unless I'm really tapped into my own rhythm and structure um and then like the external ones become just something to play with rather than yeah this sort of standard to attain right um or if like and the to the shifting mindset of if i can't you know attain this form or this structure something's wrong with me to oh just like every story is not for me every form is not for me um i i want that taught in every poetry 101 class ever maybe yeah. Um, so speaking, I, I, go ahead. No, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I just, I think there is this, uh, as a person who has a, you know, an MFA, it's something that you think about when people ask you if it was worth it, the money. Mm. Um, so you think about it. It's my soul. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to teach something. I think that that is the problem as opposed to teaching us things that were essential to living this life 
to collaborating, to finding our voices and how to express ourselves. Those things are much harder to teach. Mm -hmm. I think they're essential. Uh, Harder to uh, capitalize on. So much more difficult to capitalize on. And instead it's like, oh, well, I'll teach you, you know, Joseph Campbell and stream screen play structure and which is all great and fine. I, I mean, I think those are all useful tools, just like you're saying about poetry structure. It's good to know three act structure and all these things. Of course it is. But um, I wish I've been having this conversation a lot lately. I wish there had been more transparency about money Mm. and how you make a living and how you may not make a living doing the thing you love. And that doesn't mean you're not doing it. Oh, there's a great line. I, I don't know what album it's from, but it's an atmosphere song and he's like, the verse is about like how he always went toward poetry as a kid. And then it was something like, I'm still confusing my life's calling with making a living. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> why don't they teach that in high school? Yeah. That they can be different. Yeah. Um, and that that's not a failure of your ability to express yourself. Mm hmm which I mean, especially in film school, it's certainly framed, like figure out how to make a commercial, figure out how to sell yourself. If, if they aren't buying, you're not selling it right. Mm. Um, and the reality was the market was not ready for what I was selling at all. And there was no, I wasn't inherently wrong. Uh, so I just, I wish there had been more conversations about what the market would bear and that it may not bear what I have to say. That doesn't make and that it it's less not valid. a reflection on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And keep keep making stuff. That's the other thing I love about the Where I'm From series. Like, I am a believer, and it took me a while to get there because of capitalism. <laughs> making things, regardless of what you get paid or where it gets placed or what how many views it has is a very powerful experience. And the more stuff you make, the better you get at making stuff. Mm. Mm. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. So I, I'm curious where, where is it the Where I'm From series and this practice of just continually kind of following the creative impulse to make what fulfills you? Where's, where's that taking you? You've done movies, you've done comic books, you're doing the poetry series and podcast. Um, I'm curious about kind of the vision and the dreaming forward that's taking shape. Or is that even something that you consider? Are you very much like a, I'm in this moment now and what will come will come? I've had to learn to balance that more. I used to be very forward thinking, you know, uh, I think it's a form of escape. It was for me thinking forward because the present wasn't very tenable. So Mm -hmm. I just was like, Oh, well in the future I will have this thing and it will make me whole. Mm -hmm. Um, and I realized that actually work, (laughs) 
<laughs> unfortunately, because then you get to your future and maybe you actually have that thing and still that gaping hole is still there. Uh, so I am much more a one day at a time person. Um, and I try to be led by what brings me joy, who I enjoy being around um, and collaborating with because I am I am that person. I do love to collaborate, which in film school was almost a dirty word. Really? I would think it'd be ideal in film you school. You would think that. But then you'd think about auteur theory and you'd realize that collaboration goes quickly by the wayside if you believe in auteur theory, which a lot of people mm. do, um, even though it's a myth. Anybody who really knows about films knows that it's a myth because you can't actually make a film by yourself. That's not how it works. Um, so I do love to collaborate and I love writing. So I keep doing these things and I'm working on a memoir and it's hard for me to admit that I'm doing that because I just like, it seems like such a monumental thing to do but also to Bye. take myself seriously enough to think like I have a whole book to tell like it's a hard it's been hard for me and mm -hmm. I've I've think mostly gotten over my imposter syndrome around that I'm just like okay I just keep writing I just kind of keep writing and it's going well and it's very good for me and it goes back to that like making things and taking up your space and um, so yeah, I'm writing a book, uh, um, and short screenplays and full length screenplays. And I just, I really do. I, I'm grateful that I'm now to a place in my life where I have shed every piece of advice about you must focus. <laughs> There's one path for you and one lane yes. and you better stay in it. Yeah. Yes. You oh. are either a poet or you are a screenwriter. You are either a comic book writer or you are an essayist. You cannot be all of these things. By the way, they do not give this advice to cis straight white men, but they give this mm -hmm. advice to everybody else. And Babes. yes, and it's like, and I totally internalize that. You know, I am going to write screenplays. They're going to have strong female protagonists because that was non-negotiable. And they're going to do a series of badass things or, you know, they're going to be funny or whatever, you know, like, Yes, I still write those screenplays and I love writing them, but also I'm just doing whatever the hell I feel like doing. And when people ask me to do stuff and I want to work with them, I say yes. Because mm. isn't that like such, for me, it's such a source of joy to share work with people that I enjoy and admire because then I'm actually going to see them. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And, and have conversations with them and, and grow together and create community. And, and I think change. Absolutely. I really do believe that. For me, collaboration is one of the most inspiring and motivating when it's, when it's inspiring and motivating right. collaboration. Right. right. It's not a group project where you're doing all the work. That's not collaboration. <laughs> We've all been that person. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's profound. And, and I truly feel, and I, I mean, I talked about it a lot with Reburn, the comic book I created and wrote, I, the idea got better. If you're mm. truly collaborating, the thing gets better. It's better that than, synergy. Yes. 
And how incredible is it to be a part of something like that? Don't we all sort of, maybe not all, but don't many of us want to be better? Isn't that kind of like what we want to be? Lord, I hope so. Right? (laughs) Better, more engaged, happier, laughing more, you know? And so I just, so that's that thing about, I was saying, I wish people talked about that when I was getting my MFA. Instead, Mm. it was like, make money, get out there, say yes to every job, no matter how shitty, no matter how they treat you, because they're going to treat you like shit. Get ready for it. And you have to pay your dues. Yes. So you you better take it. And if, if you don't, someone else will. And, Mm -hmm. and the attitude was just pro abuse, to be honest. Absolutely. And I feel, I think almost the exact opposite. Don't say yes to every opportunity, particularly if you hate it and they treat you badly. What are you, what are you going to get out of that? Like, I didn't have the power mm-hmm. or the wisdom to question that advice and say, why should I say yes to every terrible opportunity? What am I building? A reputation. Is it worth it? Rent? <laughs> mm-hmm. That I'll take it? You know, I mean, my... One of my bosses, you know, run of the mill, sort of abusive, I think. And when I gave my notice, he said, oh, yeah, you could do much better than this. But like the whole time I worked for him, (laughs) he would never have dignified me with anything like that. You know, it's only when I was in the rear view that he could tell me, oh, yeah, you could be treated better than this. Mm -hmm. Um, He no longer has anything to gain from your uh, oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just wish there were more conversations about that. And I wish that those conversations, like in general, it's a larger conversation about hope. And part of the reason that I like Ross Gay's poetry, but also his books, because he is like, for me, he's an advocate for delight and joy. And he says, take it seriously. It matters. Mm -hmm. And so often when you bring up hope, joy, delight people are like well you must not be a serious person you know like serious people (laughs) you have no idea (laughs) (laughs) i'm incredibly serious um in fact i think i can hold the seriousness because i also am pursuing joy and hope and i think and i i keep saying this and i truly believe it and uh, tons of social justice advocates say the same thing like our joy is revolutionary. Our hope is revolutionary. When we lose that, they've won. Mm. When we are paralyzed because we're so overwhelmed with just the constant influx of crap and we think, well, what difference does my poem make? It makes a difference. It does. It does. The act of believing it makes a difference makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And then sharing that and creating community around the words of people that we know and care for that we haven't like put on some pedestal as being more intelligent or creative or important than us. They're just like us. So maybe if their words are meaningful, mine are too. They are. Right. They absolutely are. And then, then hopefully we also start to believe that the children in these schools, that their words and their lives are meaningful. Not because they have power or they can vote, but because we care. 
because we have hope. So I think it all matters. Yes, yes. And that was a very full circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to well, ask a follow up question about your memoir. Are you open to fielding sure. that? Even <laughs> sure. though that was just the perfect full circle moment. And I feel yes. Like and that's... I want to say it's a conversation I have with my kids often when they talk about mm. grownups. Like, I have to just say to them point blank, they don't care because you don't have money and you can't vote. And a lot of people <laughs> dance around that like it's some kind of other issue. It's not. No. It's not. It's that issue. It is that transparent. So everybody vote for Oof, the kids who with can't. With your dollars and your votes. That's right. I'm so curious. Uh, have you? This is something you've been saying to your kids for a long time and often, I take it. Well, just when it comes up and they're complaining about some grown up or they're complaining about greed or, you know, of many of the many issues that we talk about at our table or in the car, um, you know, some people are going to give you some other answer mm. and I'm going to give you the one that's true. You don't have any power and they know it because mm. I've been a powerless child. We all have. And I remember being that kid just so desperately wanting to grow up. Too many adults act like they forget. Well, do they? Or do, I mean, or do I they wonder forget? if they actually forget and they, they do that whole like idealized childhood shit, you know, where they're like, wasn't it great? Wouldn't you love to just go back to being a child? Uh, no. The good old days. <laughs> uh, no way would I want to go back to being a child. Like there were beautiful, beautiful things about being a child, but I can do those things now and then I can leave when a creepy old dude shows up <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stuck Ooh, so. truer words truer words <laughs> so you had a question <laughs> I mean <laughs> um yes I did I did have a question um in are you open to fielding a follow-up question about your yes, memoir? If I'm not comfortable, I'll tell you. Just go okay. ask the question. Go for um, it. I'm just, I'm so curious if it's something you've always dreamed or conceived of writing on or if you've kept journals or kind of how, how is this memoir framing in your, in your subconscious, in your conscious as you're bringing it to light? Where, where you, does it come from and how are you? You all can't see me shaking my head. No, um, no, no, I never kept journals. My mom told me from a very young age, don't write anything in a journal that you don't want everyone to read because Thanks, that mom. was advice that her <laughs> father gave her, which was interesting as my friends had their journals discovered by their parents, you know, it's like, well, I never told made that so. mistake. <laughs> um, so no, I never, I mean, like I kept ones with like little scraps of words, like I said, or like, you know, I heart Brandon and I hate Jeremy. If you went to school with me, you know who these people are. And, uh, you know, that kind of, but nothing like deep. And I don't really know if you can as a child, like even plumb the depths of your despair. You know, it's just not really, you're surviving and you don't really know what it is exactly. You just know other kids maybe don't have these experiences because when you might, when I would say something, you get the like dazed expression of just like, ah, panic. Like, <laughs> let's go back to playing Barbies. Um, so no, I did not want to write a book ever. I am a voracious reader. I love to read. 
And I was just like, well, that's what writers do. They, they write books. I don't write books. Um, and over the course of my life, various people have said, oh, you should write about yourself. And I was just thought, no, I've no interest in writing about myself. Um, and then over COVID, mm-hmm. I wrote an essay and, and after, and after me too, and after Brett Kavanaugh, where it did feel like the culture was shifting because when I was raped in 1991, I talked about it, not a popular choice, not a popular choice. And I lost a lot of friends over the course of that who were like, okay, already let it go. You know, because what happened was I was assaulted. And then I of course had, um, flashbacks to when I was a child, which happens to a lot of people because they bury those memories because they can't live with them. So, um, it was a real, like, when I say it was in I mean, it was like a, like a real breaking open of everything that I believed. Um, and, and my family was very colorful. So people would be like, oh my God, you should write about your family. They were just so like, they were definitely the weirdest people on the block or neighborhood or city, you know, like we were, I grew up in a very like Tony expensive Orange County suburb and my parents got divorced when I was three, but lived together as friends. Um, and my mom was super like new age, did all the things. My dad was a defense attorney. Uh, I had four older brothers. One was a drug dealer. Like it was a real, it was very chaotic. So Mm -hmm. people would be like, oh, you should write about that. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. And, um, so I started writing essays and I wrote my first essay was for Ms. And it talked a bit about this and that I was sexually assaulted at USC. The doctor there who uh, assaulted thousands of women, I was one of them. And there was a billion dollar settlement against USC. That's how many women he abused and the lengths of that abuse. And, um, and the response to that essay, uh, it was probably life-changing because it was just like over a hundred comments of like, oh my God, thank you for sharing this. I had no idea. I, it was very, I mean, there were really only a couple of comments that were like, <laughs> there was one comment that my husband was like, this is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> thank you for sharing your shame. Um, <laughs> which was like, oh, cool. I don't have any shame about it, but, um, that's okay. Uh, but mostly it was just, it was such, it was so night and day from when I first started talking about what I had lived through in the nineties to 2019, 2020, Mm -hmm. 2020, um, 20 years later, 30, 30 years later, 30 years later, which is like, and I also have distance from it and I'm also happily married. I, uh, I have a husband who loves me. Uh, which I never thought I would have ever. And uh, I was thinking recently about how when someone loves you, like really loves you, they begin to teach you that you're worth loving. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And then you start to believe that the people who didn't love you, that's on them that's not on you 
and you shouldn't look for love externally. This is not a message about like, find your person to fill your heart, the hole in your heart. It's not what I'm saying. You also have to love yourself. But if you are a 12 stepper, you know that you need to be in relationship to heal relational wounds. Ooh, I appreciate that clarification. <laughs> yeah. Cause we can't heal our relational wounds on our own, sitting in a room, reading self-help books. Like that's not how it works. If it did, I would have like really nailed that. <laughs> I'd have a PhD in it. <laughs> really, really early. Um, but to heal those relational wounds, we need to be in relationships. Um, which also goes back to part of, I think a big part of the reason I love collaboration. Because mm. mm-hmm. it feels like healing. It is healing. The healing work of creative play. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then I started to think about it and people are like, oh, are you working on a book? Because when you write a certain amount of essays, people start asking you, are you working on a book? <laughs> because that's what Otherwise, most people are why doing. why are you writing all right. these essays? <laughs> right. Because we all need to have an end goal. We couldn't just possibly be writing essays because we have ideas for essays. Um, and I started to think about it and take it seriously. And then, I mean, I noodled around for quite a while because I'm a big, um, as you can tell by the Where I'm From series, I am a big form person. I am very into form. Like I need to find the right form to tell the story. I am not a person who's gonna like, just tell it from beginning to end. That's not me. And you're not going to sit down and just like rewrite everything until it all comes out and then go back and organize it into a form. No, I mean, not exactly. Mm -hmm. No, I need like some kind of container. So I found the form. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like three quarters of the way through it. It's going well. And I, and I am happy with it. Obviously it will take time, but like, I feel like it speaks to that part of myself, which is in, in the end, what I want to express, mm. like the hurt, the hurt, the hurt, the trauma, the experiences, but all those little joys, all the little things that keep us going and, and the prompt, the where I'm from prompt, I, I, really give it so much credit and I am fortunate enough to have a relationship with Georgia Lyon and she has been so encouraging <laughs> of me and my work and she's just like she's kind of an angel mm. she's just like oh well I need to read your memoir so you should write it you know <laughs> and then I just sit there and cry so <laughs> And it makes me think of all the people who never said that to me. And mm. I think of how little it costs me to tell people that I believe in them and I want to read what they have to write. And I wonder why more people don't say things like that. It's oh. so meaningful. So I really do try with where I'm from and just in general to say like, I want to read it. Mm. I want to hear it. Whatever it is. I want it. So if you're listening right now and you (laughs) have an idea for where I'm from, (laughs) Allison wants it. Yeah. (laughs) Please ask me for the prompts. I'm booked till October currently, but like six months goes fast. Mm. It goes really fast as Jess, our Femon co-host who was on last week, will tell you. It was Mm -hmm. six months ahead. And then a week before she was like, oh, shit. (laughs) 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 I got to write something like Mm -hmm. the times that we live in six months is a blip. So yes, please, please reach out. 
I, Speaking I love of it. reaching out, Allison, um, where can folks find you and how can listeners support the work that you're doing? The best place is either Instagram. I'm by Allison Shelton, B-Y-A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-H-E-L-T-O-N. Um, and watch some where I'm from and like start thinking about it. Where are you from? What? Because I just, oh, I love it so much. And I love hearing about all the food and the details. Like, oh, it's such, it has helped me with, it has helped me. And I would be curious to hear from people who listen, if it has helped you unearth memories that you've forgotten. Because mm. it, it has definitely helped me unearth memories that I had let go of. Um, and like the fun, a lot of the little like fun tidbits um, that I feel like round out my memory. And then you can also... Um, my website is a good place, alisonshelton.com, A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-H-E-L-T-O-N. I host a show on Femon, Fine Cut, where we talk about TV and movies and for like 20 minutes and I love it. And we get in it, we get into it. And um, theme by theme. Mm. yeah, it's really, I love it. And it, and it's funny because where I'm from, I've sort of reclaimed poetry and Fine Cut has helped me reclaim film and television. Ooh. So I seem to be on a reclamation tour. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I, I'm like, this is great. I love it. All these pieces of ourselves or pieces of myself, I'll speak for myself, that I just let go of because someone told me I wasn't doing it their right. Mm. And instead of putting up a fight about it, I was just like, yeah, okay. okay. Fight or flight. Definitely chose flight. Sure you I, I get I let it go I don't want to do this with you um and uh, where I'm from and essays and um all kinds of stuff like just all kinds of stuff I'm having fun Allison Shelton thank you so much for talking with me today it's thank been you. an absolute pleasure it has I was really looking forward to it and has lived up to all of my expectations so thank Ooh. you Ada I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And thank you everyone for listening. Until next time, signing off.